Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to the Dublin Story Slam podcast. To start off with, uh, it may sound like as if I have been out enjoying the 12 pubs of Christmas, but I have not. I have a very bad head cold, but I said, you know what, even though I might sound like a broken down washing machine, I'm going to come out here into my car and deliver our final show of 2018 because it has just been a phenomenal year here um, at the Dublin Story Slam. Uh, if you haven't heard of us before, we're a monthly open mic storytelling night where every month we invite Dubliners and temporary Dubliners, as in people maybe who might be just in the city temporarily, uh, to get up and share stories inspired by a different theme each night. And these stories, they need to be true, they need to be personal. And then with the podcast, we choose the best of those stories. Um, this month, we are celebrating Christmas. So we've got three stories for you that very much invoke the spirit of Christmas. And whether or not you're even a fan of Christmas, whether even or not you celebrate it or not, there are three stories that really celebrate the best qualities of what it means to be human. This is the Dublin Story Slam Christmas Podcast. So we just finished up the year with a very special Story Slam last week and the theme of the night was home. And what we were doing is looking to invite people to get up and share stories about their own interpretation of home. Uh, but also to raise funds uh, for the Dublin Simon community, which works with the homeless community here in Dublin. And we did a series of workshops with uh, people from the Simon community, with those who use their services. And we hope that we're, we're, we're going to start a conversation and maybe hear some of those stories in 2019. So we'll be keeping you posted uh, about that. Um, but we managed to raise some funds as well. We had an amazing raffle. Um, all people who are connected to the Dublin Story Slam were really generous and donated amazing prizes and we raised 1,150 euros which I literally am going to the bank here on Christmas Eve uh, to lodge today. So what we wanted to do is to start off the podcast with the story of another fundraiser, um, slightly bigger one than our own little modest one uh, but this is a story from Paul O'Loughlin Kennedy and Paul is the son of John and Kay O'Loughlin Kennedy which here in Ireland uh, they are known as the Founders of Concern, which is this huge charity uh, which works in over 26 countries today, uh, dealing with everything from emergency response to education to trying to tackle poverty. And Paul tells the story of a fundraiser he and his wife became involved in at uh, one Christmas time. And it's just amazing to see the 
amount of organization that goes into something. Sometimes in the news, you see the headline that, you know, 25,000 was raised uh, for such and such charity, but you never really think of like all the organization and the logistics and the amount of volunteering and different organizations that are involved behind the scenes of such a fundraiser. So this is a beautiful story that just demonstrates the step-by-step-by-step-by-step process involved in doing anything that's going to help try and make the world a better place. So to get you into the spirit of Christmas and all that is good about this season, here is our first story from Paul O'Loughlin Kennedy. First or second of January 2005, my wife got a phone call from her sister. And it was remarkably similar to a phone call that my father had got from his brother back in 1968. And the phone call that my father got resulted in um, harnessing the goodwill of the Irish people to help support others who were suffering in the famine as a result of the Nigerian-Biafran War, which ultimately became uh, the Third World Relief Organisation concern worldwide. My wife's phone call that she got from her sister uh, proved the point that 37 years later, the Irish people still had bundles of goodwill to give. We'd all seen uh, on December the 27th the terrible tragedy that had happened in Indonesia with the tsunami uh, on, on the 26th. And this was what Lisa was ringing about. She wanted to do something. She didn't know what she wanted to do, but she wanted to do something. So being a good South County Dublin mom, she thought, let's walk Dunleary Pier. Let's get a bunch of our friends together and we get them all to chuck a fiver into a bucket and we'll make a couple hundred euros and we'll do it like that. My wife thought it was a great idea. And so she said to Lisa, you do the text, send it to me and I'll send it to everyone in my phone book and we'll work from there. Remember, 2005, there was no Facebook, there was no Twitter, there was no Instagram. We had to use text and we had to type. So the text came out, Alva sent it out to her phone book, I sent it to my phone book and that was the end of it. We were going for a walk on Sunday week. It was going to be, you know, mid-early January. It was going to be cold, but it was going to be grand. On Tuesday, I, I, I talked to a guy who I'd lived with, and I said, oh, I haven't sent you the text, and I sent it to him. And he came back and he said, for God's sake, Lucky, I've got this 12 times already. He said, I've already sent it to my, everybody in my phone book, and it's gone on. And we thought, okay, that's great. Maybe we'll get a load of people along. We then got a phone call from a lady who worked in a PR agency who thought this was brilliant. She said, I've sent it to every TV station, every radio station, every newspaper, every member of the Oireachtas, every local councillor, and if I can think of anybody else, I'll send it on to them as well. So at that stage, we thought, okay, maybe we better organise things a little bit. So we formed a quick ad hoc committee of the four of us, and... um, (laughs) We, we, said, we said, okay, list of jobs, what are we going to do? We said, first of all, who are we going to give the money to? So I pitched in for Concern because that's where our family connection was. So I contacted Concern and they were delighted because they'd got the text and they wondered who was getting the money from the walk that was going on. Okay. So they said, okay, great, yeah, absolutely. We can give you buckets, we can give you jackets, we can give you banners. Uh, he said, we can also give you a license. That was one of the things on the list. We could tick it off because they had a global license for fundraising at that stage. So they said, they said, that's great. You have your license, but you should probably tell the guards what you're doing anyway. So we went to Dunleary Guards and the guards said, OK, that's great. Um, that's fine. We'll have some of our community liaison officers down on their bikes on the pier in the afternoon. And, uh, you know, we're, we're there to help wherever we can. 
but you should talk to the Dunleary Harbour Company because they're the ones who own the pier in Dunleary. So we said, okay, and we went to them and they, they kind of responded with, yeah, we wondered when someone was going to ring us because we'd got the text as well and nobody had told us about it. I think we were getting to the, what it was now called viral stage, okay? But this was back in 2005. So they said, that's grand, lovely, great idea. We'd love you to use the pier, it'd be fine. You just let us know your insurance details and we can go from there. <laughs> and we went, insurance? They said, yes, yeah, we need you to have 5 million euros worth of coverage for anybody, you know, anything that might happen. <laughs> okay. So I rang concern and I said, I think this may not work. It may not happen because, mm, you know, how are we going to sort out the insurance thing? And they said, don't worry, we have a global policy which we can apply to a concern event, and so you're covered. So there we were. That was the major hurdle all sorted out. The only other thing we were a bit concerned about was the money. What would we do if we actually managed to raise some money and a load of people turned up? And uh, Secure Corps couldn't come and collect the money, and Brinks Allied were busy that day. And as it happens... During Christmas, we'd been invited to a dinner party in our neighbour's house, and I had sat next to the manager of the AIB in Sandymount. So in next door to the neighbours, got her phone number, rang her, told her what we were doing. She said, absolutely, I'd love to go in. I'll open the bank, I'll open the vault, you can put the money in. My staff will count all the money the next morning, and we'll lodge it directly into Concerns account. <sighs> Everything was done. We had the St. John's Ambulance were on, the Order of Malta were on. They were going to send people down to be there. I had uh, megaphones from my old school for crowd control. Okay, so we were all ready, ready to go. The morning of the show, of the, 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 the walk came, and I got a phone call at 7 o'clock in the morning. Dunleary Harbour Company. Uh, we've got to close the pier. What do you mean you have to close the pier? Yeah, we've high winds and there's a lovely Victorian uh, structure, a shelter, and it's lifting the glass panels and it's breaking them. Two have broken already and we have to close the pier about a quarter of the way down the pier. So we said, you know what? The weather's bad anyway. We can't control that. Ah, if people don't want to walk the full pier, they don't have to walk the full pier. We'll see what happens. They said, we can have you, you can use the other pier. The West Pier, we can walk down to that. Quick phone call to Blackrock Scouts, and they came charging down to line out the route for people to walk the long walk down to the other pier if they want. And that was it. So 1.45, we were doing this from 2 to 4. 1.45, there we were, all ready, with our buckets, and I had my megaphone in my hand. I was happy. And my wife turned to her mother, and she said, what if nobody comes? All this work for nothing. And her mum, being wise, said, you know what, if nobody comes, we'll all chip our fiver in, we'll walk our quarter of the pier, and we'll have got, you know, 100 euros, and there'll be at least something going to the, to the charity. At two o'clock, my wife went, oh my God, will you look at that? On either side, the approach roads to the pier, it was as if somebody had lifted a barrier, and all you could see was people coming towards you, and people coming towards you. Each way, we got flooded with people. There were families. They'd put on their hats, their coats, their scarves. They'd wrapped up. The kids were arriving with bags of money. They'd gone to their money boxes that morning, and they were bringing it. There were people who obviously had decided they weren't going to get wet, and they weren't going to get cold. Um, and they were stopping at the end of Dunleary Pier. They were tooting the horn until the collectors came over, and they were just dropping money into the boxes. Uh, the National Yacht Club next door had given us a room so we could count the money, so we were running back and forward, dropping it in. It was just absolutely amazing. My, my own mother turned again to my wife, and she said, you know, Alva, when we started Concern, it was just like this. You put the call out, and the people, they will come. 
So it, they all, and they did, and they came, and the TV3 came, and the photographers came, and it was just an amazing time. Uh, my own mum and dad had incredibly important job to do. They had to mind our three-year-old and our five-year-old, because they were down there at the walk as well. And in fact, if you got my father going, he could fill a whole story slam in one evening, so he could, with the stories from the starting of the Days of Concern. But January the 9th, 2005, between 2 and 4 in the afternoon, the people of Dublin came to Dunleary, to the pier, they walked the pier, and they donated €30,000 in two hours. Thank you. That was Paul O'Loughlin Kennedy with a brilliant story that just perfectly demonstrates what happens when you get a group of people together and you're all united by the simple belief that you want to do something good. So we're going to move on now to another story which also celebrates the meaning of Christmas in a slightly surprising uh, and maybe unlikely uh, way. This is a story from Andrea Farrell who tells a story that, I don't know, if Paul's story about fundraising is the kind of miracle on 34th Street, then Andrea's story is very much embedded in the uh, the bad Santa movie. So there is lots of uh, swearing and profanity in this. It may not be the most suitable story for, for, for younger ears, but this is Andrea Farrell. 
Um, I know, I'm the whistleblower. When I was working there, there was, there was a, uh, see, my brother had worked there before me, and he told me about how great it was to work there. He, he was long gone, but he got me the job, because there was still one guy there that was there when he was there, so I started working. Um, I quickly realized when I was working there that all the good crack people that my brother worked with were dead and gone. <laughs> um, and I was working with a horrible uh, shower of bastards. <laughs> where... My only, friend, my only friend was a lad called Martin, who was in his 50s, who came in every week, uh, and he would rent, um, an, uh, rent a DVD of Seinfeld, and me and him would, would talk to each other about Seinfeld. And he said to me one day, God, it's so nice um, to talk to somebody who is a nice person in here. And that was like... I gave myself a little clap on the shoulder of, like, I'm, I'm a nice person and not an absolute bastard. So, see, I told this story at my brother's wedding. Uh, I was my brother's uh, best man. We have two other brothers, but I, I still am the better brother. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> uh, basically, while I was working there, it was around Christmas time, my brother, Declan, who I'm very close with, had, he had met his, his girlfriend, who's now his wife. He met her around Halloween. And two months in, he decided that I was going to be the first person that was going to meet his soon-to-be bride. No, ten years later bride. Um, <laughs> but he, he asked if I wanted to go out. He's like, we're going to go ice skating, and we're going to stay in, in Tony's house, and it's going to be great crack. And I was like, yeah, I love it. I'm in. Um, I had work the next day. Uh, what I didn't realize is that my brother said to, to Tony, she said, um, look, Andrea's good crack. Uh, you'll be able to tell soon enough if she doesn't like you. Um, if, if she says, I have to go home now, I've got work tomorrow, that's a really bad sign. <laughs> but if she stays out and keeps drinking, that's a great sign, you're in. But he was kind of quick to, like, you can't really judge me on that because I, I do love drinking as well. So that is a factor. <laughs> so we stayed out really late, and we stayed over in her house, and it was a brilliant night, and we went ice skating. My brother was in a band at the time. He wrote a weird song about it called The Devil's Threesome. I don't know. It was weird. But I called my mom. I called my mom, and I said, Mom, oh, can you call in sick to me into the, into the shop? I really don't want to go in. I'm, I'm really sick. I think I have a bug. Um... And my mom doesn't drink, so she believes you when you say that you have a bug. <laughs> and she was like, oh, God, stay in bed and drink plenty of water. And she rang, said that, you know, Andrea won't be in. She has, she got food poison or something. She's out. And that was grand. And the next day I got a call. I wasn't in the day after I was meant to be in, so I basically was getting two days off. It was fantastic. And my manager rang me on the, the following day and was like, look, I know you're sick. Can you, can you actually come in today? We're very stuck. And I was like, oh, God, oh, God, I'm still very sick. But I will do it. <laughs> and I went, in, I went in to work, and basically the manager told me what I had to do for the day, um, and that was grand. He left, and he left me with these two people that I worked with. Um, I won't name them, but if they're here, they know exactly who they are. <laughs> 
he left me. These 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 are uh, two people that I work with who were my equals. Like they weren't they weren't like superior to me in any way in in the in the workplace. And they basically oh the shop got robbed the day that I called in sick. <laughs> and the 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 girls basically blamed me for the shop being robbed. And I said, look, me not being here had nothing to do with me. Had nothing to do with the shop getting robbed. You left the hatch open. The lad ran in and grabbed all the Xbox controllers. It, what, that, like, it's really, it's down to you not closing the latch uh, behind the counter. And she sent me off to do a load of work in the... Basically was telling me what to do. And I was like, oh, God, this fucking bitch. <laughs> and there was a few confrontations throughout the day. And I just got sick of it. And, I, and I'm not really a good person for standing up for myself. And I rang my brother and said, Declan, like, they're, they're being absolute assholes to me in here. They're blaming me for the shop getting robbed. When I was, like, in bed... <laughs> sick <laughs> and my brother said look it's Christmas Eve don't get like don't get a <laughs> it was Christmas Eve <laughs> my brother said uh, and the shop was packed as well so don't let don't let the shop don't let this job like bring you down or ruin your Christmas and I said do you know what I am going to quit this job and I walked back in <laughs> and there was a massive queue there was a massive queue and everyone was like all these dads panic buying Xbox 360s for their kids. A huge queue and uh, I said, I'll give her one more chance if she's nice to me. And she said, what are you doing, you idiot? And I said, I'm leaving because I'm quitting uh, because you're an absolute... And I, I said, I called her a big cunt. And, <laughs> and I, uh, I walked out and a man in the queue went, fair play to you. <laughs> and I was leaving. But then, I, when I walked outside, I, I forgot my coat. <laughs> and I rang my mom and I said, Mom, can you pick me up? It was snowing. Can you pick me up, please? And I said, I forgot my coat. I think I'll just leave it. And my mom said, don't you, don't you effing dare leave that coat behind. I bought you that coat. So I went, and the mom said, I'll be down for you in a minute. And I went back in and I got my coat. And I embarrassingly ran behind the counter. I shouldn't have been in there. I wasn't an employee anymore. I grabbed it. <laughs> I forgot that I had called my mom to get a lift, and I just kind of walked home through the snow. My mom arrived up to the shop, waited outside for a few minutes, and then was like, went into the shop, into the big queue, and said, where's Andrea? And the girl said, she quit. She just walked out there, and my mom said, well, she quit because you're a big bitch. And she left. Thanks. Andrea Farrell there celebrating what the true spirit of Christmas means and that of course is being good to yourself but also your family having your back now we're going to move into our last story of the podcast and this is not only the last story of the podcast but the last story of the year um, it has been a, an absolute pleasure to work on this podcast um, normally it's myself and Colm but Colm has two kids. I have a, a small little two and a half year old and we are in sec- exceptionally busy, which is always good. But just trying to get the window where we can both be in the same room at the same time has been really, really, really tricky. So we're going to try and work on that a little bit more uh, in 2019. Uh, but Colm does send on his Christmas wishes uh, as well. Um, we're going to finish you with a story that if it doesn't leave you with a, a glow 
of human warmth and positivity to start off your 2019, then I'm not sure. Maybe you need to go back and listen to some more stories from, from the Dublin Story Slam podcast. So this is a story from a guy called Martin Hughes, and I've been sitting on this story since it was first recorded back in January 2017. And the reason why I wanted to sit on it was because I always knew that this is the story that I wanted to finish off a Christmas podcast. And lo and behold, I finally get that chance to do that today. This is Martin Hughes. Good evening. So as of this moment, less than 10 people have heard the story or of this story. And only three people have actually heard the story completely. Um, the reason I'm telling it tonight is um, it fits with the theme, basically. Uh, <laughs> and uh, no one has ever saved me. So, oh, I thank you. Um, so of the many jobs I've had over the years, uh, about 10 years ago, I did a brief stint as a taxi driver. I had this eight-seater minibus and... Um, I used to ferry people back and forward to pubs. And I was doing that very thing one night in November. There was snow on the ground, frosty, white stuff everywhere. And I had a bunch of girls in the car. And um, I was dropping them off to a housing estate in Lusk uh, called Orland Park. And on the way into the estate, I noticed a car parked on the side of the road with the engine running. You can see the fumes, you know, in the wintertime, you can see the fumes coming up and so on. So uh, I pulled up beside the car to have a look, and I noticed a hose in the exhaust pipe. And uh, I jumped out. I pulled the hose from out of the car, and I went around to the driver's door, and I, I opened the door, and there was a young man slumped on the seat. Uh, he appeared to be unconscious. So I took him out of the car, put him on the ground. Uh, I checked him over. Uh, he was breathing. He had a pulse. He was kind of fading a little bit, but he was there. So uh, I rang an ambulance, and the ambulance was duly dispatched. And I waited with the, the young man. He was only like 20, just a baby, you know. And um, I noticed his phone on the ground, and he had the beginnings of a text message to his dad. And at that moment, I decided that I would ring his dad. And the reason I decided to do that was I come from a very large family of 11 people in our family, 11 children in our family, and we had a couple of accidents over the years. And my dad used to say, uh, if you're not coming home, if you're out flying your flag, uh, you know, ring home and tell us you're not coming because your mum's going to stay up all night worrying otherwise. You know, and uh, we've had the guards come to our house a couple of times, and it's an awful experience. So for that reason, I decided to ring his dad, uh, which I did, and I explained the situation. And I said, look, your son's here, he's, he's, he's unconscious, but he's fine, the ambulance is coming. So he arrived down about the same time as the ambulance arrived, and uh, they took over, they took him off in the ambulance, the dad went with him, he shook my hand, said thanks very much. You know, I put my cape and red underwear back in the boot and <laughs> headed off home. Uh, I wasn't actually the better for it, so I, I kind of went home. I, uh, so I've had enough now, that's enough for anyone to see for one evening. So the next afternoon... Uh, the dad rang me and he said the, the young man has woken and uh, he's, he's fine and they're going to keep him over, overnight again for, for observation and stuff. And he asked if he could bring the young man down to me to say thanks. And I said, I'd rather you didn't because um, I don't want you coming back in a little while and tell me that he successfully managed to kill himself. 
Um, also, I was kind of the bad guy here because I stopped him from doing what he wanted to do. So it could all go badly wrong. So I said, look, you know what? Just look after him. Keep an eye on him. And, uh, you know, farewell and good luck. And so, so that was November. Um, a few days before Christmas, I got a text message from the dad saying, I know you don't want to contact you, but I'm thinking of you today. Merry Christmas all as well. And I replied, Merry Christmas. That's fine. And I got the same text message for the next four years, every Christmas, a few days before Christmas, uh, thinking of you, Merry Christmas, all as well. On the fifth year, I didn't get any text message. And my wife said to me, did you get your annual text message from you know, that guy? And I went, no, I didn't. And I've just realized now that I'm quite concerned about not getting the text message that I didn't want in the first place. <laughs> uh, so in the first week in January... Uh, I got a text message from the dad saying, Belated, Merry Christmas. Uh, thanks for that. You know, uh, he said, um, we were away. Uh, and, uh, so we were away in, in Spain because the young man had gotten engaged. And uh, they decided to go on a family holiday in Spain. And at that time, as you might remember, um, to send a text message or phone from abroad was so expensive you'd have to sell a kidney to pay for it when you, when you came back home. So that was the reason he didn't send a message. And I was like, fuck, I was up all night. Like, you know what I mean? Like, uh, so uh, I said, right, okay, it's fine. Thanks very much. I'm, I'm glad everyone's okay. So um, every year since that, um, I get a text message a few days before Christmas from the dad saying, uh, thinking of you today, Merry Christmas, all is well. Yeah. And can I just like to say before, take this home with you this evening, it, it's okay to not be okay. Thank you very much. News, ladies and gentlemen. That was Martin Hughes, who won the Story Slam that night and went on to share a new story at the Grand Slam. And we just had our Grand Slam back in uh, November. If you want to go back, you can listen to the full show. You can hear all of the stories. They're all up there, as are seven other episodes of the Dublin Story Slam. So even though you may not be able to be with us in person, hopefully you can be with us there in spirit. Our next Story Slam is on January 15th and that is with First Fortnight Mental Health Arts Festival which is an amazing, inspiring way to start off your year with a series of creative and artistic and music and gigs and poetry and storytelling all wrapped around the theme of mental health. We will have a theme very much inspired by the festival this year. The theme is Tribes. So if you have a story that's very much inspired by a sense of belonging, finding your clique, 
you know, your gang, your community, people who understand you, or maybe feeling completely on the outside and never finding that place in society, then we want to hear from you. So email info at the Dublin Story Slam dot com or even better, just head over to the website, the Dublin Story Slam dot com for more information. And uh, we will hopefully see you on the 15th. For the rest of you, we will be back in January with a brand new podcast. Uh, so thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful holiday. It is Christmas Eve. I'm literally heading off now to lodge that check into the bank for the Simon community. And then I'm going to have a nice hot whiskey because my throat is killing me. We'll talk to you in the new year. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.